0: We don't like to become complacent. We like to grow. We like to mature. We like to draw closer to God, both in our doctrine or our theology with God, but also in our, in our life with other people. And so we have started studying the book of Ephesians, and this is a, a book that is just excellent in theology and excellent in application. In January and February of this year, we actually looked at chapters 1, 2, and 3. And now we're going to start, starting today, we're going to be in chapters 4, five, and six, and we'll actually be working that all the way through to the end of the summer. So we're very excited about this. Just to give you a little bit of history, the book of Ephesians, it was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it back in in the time of Jesus. Actually, you would probably see maybe first, second, or maybe even third generation of Christians who were actually there when Jesus was on this earth. A very exciting time. Paul, before he was named Paul, before he was a Christian, he was Saul. And he was going around persecuting the Christians and giving them a hard time to the point that he was even approving murders of other people. He was there approving the murder of Stephen as he was being stoned. And so this guy, not only was he persecuting, but now he became a Christian and now he's being persecuted against. And so when you, re- when you read it in Ephesians where he says, I, Paul, the prisoner, Paul was actually in prison. He was in chains. He was also writing these letters to encourage Christians And probably one of the most difficult times of life, he was writing under the Emperor Nero. If you know your history, Nero was a very, very evil man. I think we've seen some evil men in this past century. Nero was one of those guys who would take Christians and feed them to the lions for entertainment. Take people and light them on fire and use them as human torches. So as Paul is writing these words to encourage these Christians, you can imagine what these Christians were taking these words and holding them tight within their hearts and just clinging to these things of of hope, of salvation, of doctrine, something very important. So as we read the section of Ephesians today, I really want to encourage you to think about what it was like when Paul, in prison, writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, encouraging them under the emperor Nero. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we want to just come to you this morning. And Father, we want to be intellectual with you. We want to love you with all of our mind, as you've commanded us to. Father, would you help us to understand your words, and so that it penetrates our heart. But Father, we also want our heart to penetrate our life, those people around us, that they may, too, see Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that not only does it challenge our life, but Father, we thank you that it changes our life. And so, Father, we ask this morning that as before we leave, that our lives would be changed. That we'll take something with us and we'll apply it in our life. Father, thank you for the people in the past and their faith. Father, help us to have faith as small as a mustard seed so we can move mountains. Father, we love you. Amen. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 4. If you're not there, you can still, you have time. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There was one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm really glad that we're starting Ephesians chapter 4, because Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 If you think about it, this is all our doctrine and theology that Paul's been writing about. And this is our vertical relationship with God, in a sense. So everything from chapters 1, 2, and 3 is our doctrine and theology with God. Now 4, 5, and 6, we're moving horizontal plane between myself and you, between you and other people. And Paul, when he writes, if you've ever studied some of his other letters, there's a hinge, and you, you know when you get to this hinge, you know you've, You've made this big transition. For example, in the book of Romans, Paul writes the first 11 chapters of Romans of doctrine. You know, sin, salvation, grace, all these other things. And then he comes to the word, therefore. And he says this, the hinge. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So Paul hits the mind for 11, 11 chapters and then hits the application on this hinge, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you always have to f- figure out what the therefore is there for. It's an important part in the Bible. And you don't want to miss these things. For example, in Galatians chapter f- or in Galatians, Paul writes for four chapters. It makes it very clear that we're no longer shackled by the traditions Uh, of man or or religion, of Judaism, um, but we're free. And if we struggle with legalism, we struggle with these, you know, religious traditions that can just really weigh us down, you need to become a student of Galatians. And Galatians chapter 5 makes this transition or this hinge. He said, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And so as we get into chapter 4, we just read NIV, it says, then, other versions it says, therefore. So Paul is saying, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've been received. And I think this is something very encouraging for us as believers. Paul is telling us to walk. He's not telling us to climb the highest mountains or to make the, the mad dash to try to finish something or accomplish something. He's just saying, walk in a worthy manner of the calling that you have received. I think it should bring us great encouragement that this isn't a race in our relationship with God or against other people, but we're to walk with Christ, with this calling. Three things that God has called us to. That God, you know, number one, called by God who initiated the plan of salvation. Called by Christ who implemented the plan of salvation and then called by and sealed with the Holy Spirit, who enabled the plan of salvation. So we were called to something great. We were called to something pure and holy. Now Paul is telling us, now I want you to walk something great. I want you to walk something pure, and I want you to walk something holy. Are we seeing how all these transitions fit from a vertical relationship with God, now to a horizontal plane between ourselves and others? You guys catching this? Now turn to the person next to you and say, this is between me and you. All right, now I want you to encourage him. Say, I want you, if this is Paul says, say, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Tell the person next to you, say, I urge you to live a life of the calling that you've received. All right, so we're moving everything from a doctor, from theology, from God to man. And now we're going man to man, woman to woman, man to woman, whatever it is, to child. We're moving on this horizontal plane of the calling that we have received. If you take a look at verse 2, we'll find a couple words that will help us understand this maybe even more and more. Humility. Humility. Let me give you a good definition of humility, and you can write this down in your Bible or on your, on your piece of paper. God first, other second, then self. Let's say it one more time. Humility is God first, other second, then self. Turn to the person next to you and tell them that. God first, other second, then self. You know, this is such an unpopular word when it comes to, you know, leadership or it comes to greatness. You know, on an application for a job interview, they're probably not going to ask you, What's your humility like? How humble are you? On a scale of 1 to 10, you know, where does that fit in? With core values of leadership, they're probably not going to go through the training and say, okay, now a very important thing in leadership, a core value is humility. No, they're probably going to say just the opposite. It's pride. It's something else that demands the attention of other people. It's superiority, egotism, self-importance. That's not what the Bible is saying here. Kings didn't display humility. Kings displayed their might and strength in a different way than what the Bible tells us. But along came Christ, and he changed all the, the rules in a sense of, of human culture. He's asking us to be humble. So when you have humility with inside your heart, it's going to produce something on the outside as it relates to other people. Just in the rest of that verse, if you look in your Bible, look on the screen, after humility becomes Gentleness or gentleness. This is an outward flow of the humility with inside your heart. And let me give you a definition of gentleness. It's strength under control. Strength under control. Gentleness is not a weakness of something, but gentleness is really the strength under control. The word that's used here in the Bible is, is to describe a horse that's been broken. So after you break the horse, you train the horse, the horse isn't any less weak or any less strong. You can still you can mount the horse, you can use it for whatever you want to use the horse for. You can use it for plowing, but the strength is still there, but it's under control. So with our humility on the inside of our hearts, we humble ourselves with God first, other second then self, then the gentleness will flow out into our life. Now, I can't think of any marriage that probably doesn't want some humility and gentleness. Can't think of any relationship that probably doesn't want some humility and gentleness. What Paul is writing here is about the church and the unity with each other. So when you look around in each other, think about the humility that's within yourself and the gentleness that you display with the person next to you. So you can take around and look around and see the gentleness of the people that you display it to with humility and gentleness. I was trying to think of an example for this, and I was, I was like, God, help me to come up with like a, some type of testimony or, or an example to share. And so God gave me a little a short example, and I'll share it with you about humility and gentleness. I was at the train station working on my sermon, praying for this example, and this elderly guy walks in with this little cane, and he barely can sit down, in the chair it's too low for him, and I could tell he wasn't Polish. And, and so he sat there for about 30 minutes, and then finally the lady came by and says, can I get you something to drink? He says, yeah, you know, I would really like some, some juice. And he said it in uh, Dutch. And she's like, I don't speak Dutch, you know. And so he said, okay, some, some juice. And uh, she's like, well, come up to the cashier and then you can order there. And he's like, I can't stand. Can you just get me some juice? So she, you know, hesitantly goes over, grabs him the juice, puts it down, and he pulls out a 20 euro. She's like, no, 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 only Zawadi. And you could tell the guy was so frustrated. This was already like 9.30 a night. And he was just so just irritated. He's like, I just want a juice. You know, can you just give me a juice? I'll give you 20 euros. She's like, no, no, no. You know, just only zawadi. So I thought, well, maybe here's an opportunity to put God first and others second and then self. And so I told the girl, I said, peach, I can buy the drink. And she looked at me. She's like, what? And she was just shocked. I'm like, yeah, I can buy the drink for the guy. It was only six zawadi and 50 gros, but I was like, I can buy it for him. But the look on her face was priceless. But the look on his face, he's like, huh? You buy me the drink? I'm like, sure, you know, it's, it's not so much. But, I mean, it's, it's not like such a, a huge, you know, example. But I think it's something that others first, or God first, others second, then self. And if the Bible says even just a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ can be used as an instrument, instrument of humility and gentleness, then I encourage you guys to do the same. So humility on the inside produces the gentleness on the outside to each other. The next part. If we take a look is. Is patience. Patience. And notice after patience. Becomes bearing with one another. In love. Patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight. I don't know if you follow that. Patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight. W-A-I-T. That you're waiting for something. So it's something. Where you have to be very patient on the inside. If you've ever been in a relationship, you know what patience can be like. As a parent with a child, you just have to be extremely patient. And out of that patience within your heart comes out this second part of the verse, bearing with one another in love. As Paul writes, encourages us as a church as we come to understand the sound doctrine and this theology, and he's telling us to be, you know, humble on the inside, and so that we're gentle, and that we're patient, and that we bear with one another in love, it's a great encouragement for us to do just that. Because as a family, as we function like a family, if you have brothers and sisters, sometimes there's fights. And that just happens. As a body of Christ, as we function together, sometimes maybe there's fights. Well, we have to love the other person. Maybe we might not disagree with everything that they had to say. We love them anyways. I think the best example that you can think of, and something that God has really been teaching me a lot of, is grace. You know, God has shown grace to you. You need to show grace to other people. Starting with your family, starting with your kids, starting with your church. And that same grace that he has shown, it has to be passed on. And it's done through patience and love, bearing with one another. Maybe a, a question for you just to think about. Don't answer out loud. But how humble are you? And don't answer too quickly. How humble are you like with humility on the inside? Is it God first? Is it other second? And then is it self? If it's not in that order, it's a good time to start trying to rearrange those things so that it is God first, that it is sec- other second, and then yourself. And as you do that, you'll see the gentleness flow out of your life. And then how patient are you? Really? When, when you drive, how patient are you? I'm not. <laughs> When when, when you're living life, you know, how patient are you on a day-to-day basis? I'm not that patient of a guy. I just, it's something that I really need to work in my life. So that patience in you comes out and you bear with one another in love. We're tolerant with each other. We don't tolerate the sin, but we're tolerant with one another. Jesus was one of the most tolerant people ever. Anybody could walk up to Jesus, whether it be a prostitute, a sinner, a tax collector, whatever it was. Someone that publicly we know, okay, these are bad people. They had relationship with Jesus Christ. People who are bad people, who we might judge even within the body, have relationship with Jesus Christ, and we should have that same type of relationship with them. It's very important for the body. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity. Paul is asking for humble attitudes and determined effort to keep the unity that the Holy Spirit has given to the church. The church is already unified. It's up to us to keep it that way and not to break it down or destroy it, what Paul is writing here, to the church. We don't have to create the unity. God's already done that. We just have to keep it. And God gives us seven short lists right here, and you can follow along up on the screen or in your Bible, and I want you to highlight or underline these things, because they're very important. He said that there's one body. One body. It's not for rich. It's not for poor. It's not for a race or for a culture. It's one body. If you've come to God, you've been born again through Jesus Christ, you're part of the body. You know, you can't choose your brothers and sisters, you know, that your parents had. You can't choose your brothers or sisters. In Christ, it's one body. There's one spirit. There's a lot of spirits out there that sometimes people drink. And I'm not talking about this spirit. There's a Holy Spirit. There's one Holy Spirit in this. The third one is one hope. One hope. This is something that all Christians share together. Whether your background is Jew or Gentile, Baptist, Lutheran, whatever it might be. If you're in the body, born again, this is our one hope. There's one Lord There's only one master to submit to, one God. There's one faith that all Christians share together. There's that saving faith, the justifying faith, and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. There's one baptism. It doesn't refer to a baptism in a particular church, but rather the act of following Christ and making a public profession of your faith. And there's one God who rules over all Christians. And he is found in every part of the church where people are following these seven points. These are the things that create Christian unity. Paul's asking us to guard it. He's asking us to keep it and let nothing damage it. You know, I googled how many Christian denominations are there out in this world. There's between, 20, or between thirty to 36,000 Christian denominations. What if we took one body, one hope, one faith, and went down through that list? How many denominations would we have left out of those thirty to 36,000 denominations? It'd be very, very few. Canaan said it'd be one. It'd be one denomination. I think one of the, I would call it success, or one of the blessings that we have here at PIC is, I, I don't know many of your denominations, but I know your heart's. And I know that you love God. I know that we have the word of God, and this is what we focus on, the one body, the one faith, the one hope. Paul listed it for us. And I want to encourage you guys to follow this. No matter if you're here at PIC, if you're getting ready to leave PIC. But the, the, the fact that it boils down to just you and me. It boils down to you and the person sitting next to you. When we talk about this humility and gentleness, we talk about patience and bearing with one another in love. We talk about these one body, one faith, one hope, one Lord, all these things. So if we do these things, we'll be walking in a calling that's worthy. God first, others second, then self. David, <clears throat> King David in, in Psalms, he had a, a denomination that he followed. And if I can choose the denomination for this church, I would choose the denomination of this one. And this is what David said. He says, I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Or I am a friend of all who fear you, and those who keep your ways or commands. And I think that's a great denomination to follow as we look at following Christ and unification within the church. So I'll bring it to a close, but as we get ready to pray, I just want to encourage you guys, where is God in your life in regards to humility? Is he first in life? If not, then as we pray, I want you to invite him to make him first in your life. Are other people just as important, if not more important than you? If not, then I invite you to rearrange that and put other people before you. The Bible also says, first shall be last, and last shall be first. It's kind of reversed in this world, but it makes sense, and if God said it, Is something good. And I want to encourage you guys, too, if you don't have a lot of patience, like maybe I do at times, I want to encourage you guys to ask God to give you a heart of patience and to encourage you in that way so that you may work with one another, bear with each other in love. And if God, if you're not part of the body, then I invite you today to become part of the body, to confess your sins to Christ, ask Him to come into your life, and He'll forgive you of your sins. You'll be born again. So let's take this time and let's pray together. God, I I pray... For this church and I pray for myself. I pray that you help us to walk in this calling that you've given to us, that it's it's worthy. I think that this isn't, you know, a race that you know we have to, to hurry, but we walk on a day-to-day basis. Father, I pray that you help me to have a heart of humility, to always keep you first, others second, and then self. And Father, I pray that this heart of humility will actually come out and be shown to people around me that this gentleness is strength under control, whether it be to fight for the church, to fight for the poor, to fight for those who are oppressed. But Father, let us do it as a church under control. Father, I pray that you'd help me and help us to have a heart of patience so we can bear with one another in love. God, it's amazing how much grace you've shown to each of us, but it's also amazing that sometimes how we could just turn and, and tear each other apart. So Father, I pray that it's, PIC, and, and the church worldwide, this unity that you've given to us, that we truly bear with one another in love, that we forgive each other, and we ask for forgiveness. But Father, I thank you for this oneness, this one body, this one hope, this one faith, this one Lord, this one spirit, Father, that you've given to us. Father, what you've brought together, we don't want to try to take apart. We thank you for this, this letter that Paul has given to us. We thank you how you've shown us doctrine, now you're teaching us how to live it on a, day-to-day piece, on a day-to-day basis and how to truly walk this walk. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.